You are listening to the Follow series on 1 Peter from Holy Cross Presbyterian Church in Stanton, Virginia. 1 Peter is a letter written to Christians struggling to follow after Jesus in a world in which they increasingly see themselves as strangers. It is both instruction how and an encouragement to live in the world in relationships, vocations, communities, and the church out of an identity formed by the transforming and perfect work of Jesus Christ. For the rest of you, if you turn your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, it's in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible with you, the text is also printed for you in your order of worship. If you don't own a Bible, we have one on the back table. I'd love to get to you. Um, either way, in any of those ways, it's good to have the text in front of you as, as we're uh, doing our time this morning. Listen, in our culture, we are enamored with the spontaneous, right? Because anything less than something that happens spontaneously in us, we see as inauthentic. It's not something that actually is true to us. And this carries over into our Christian faith as well. In other words, like we, we tend to see that if something is truly spiritual in us, if something is truly um, of, of the Lord, that it has to happen automatically. And if it doesn't, then it's, we, we attach pejoratives to it, like legalism, or, you know, things like that. Uh, The problem is, is that the scriptures are really clear that being a follower of Jesus, in other words, being a Christian, doesn't come naturally. It's not something that happens by nature. At best, it's something that will happen by second nature. But as as any of you know who who have honed a skill, for something to be second nature takes training. Lots of work. Um, We place our faith in Jesus, but but then learn what it means to live that faith out in the world. We call that discipleship in Christian tribal speak. And that's what we're exploring this summer. How to make following Jesus second nature to us in different aspects of our life. And so given that, where do we go to make sense of the world and our place in it? Like if we need training to learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus uh, in the midst of the world... Uh, so that so that it becomes second nature. What's going to be our guide? You know, the first week in this series, we talked about the profile of a follower, what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. L- last week, we talked about um, how you follow first and foremost by knowing Christ. Today, we look at how we follow the story. So if you have your place in God's Word, I'd, I'd invite you to stand, as is our habit, in honor of Holy Scriptures. I'm going to be reading First Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to 12. Friends, this is, this is God's Word. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what, what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Friends, this is the Word of God given so that we might flourish. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we come before you this morning, before this time, seeking to hear you speak to us, we pray that you would do just that. By your Spirit, would you open our hearts and speak to us. Would you preach your gospel to us, Lord? Let Jesus and his cross come forward. Let me fall into the background. 
And Lord, uh, bring us to repentance and faith, both for the first time and again and again. This all we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Have a seat. Listen, we are storytellers. As a people, we're just storytellers. We tell stories. When I come home from the office uh, every day, the first 30 minutes of my day are normally, um, besides trying to, to get the kids to go play, is um, spending time with my wife for about a half an hour sitting and we, we talk about our days. But when we do that, we don't give bullet points, right? When you talk about your day with someone, you're not giving bullet points. Um, well, this, then this, and this, and this, and this. Like the executive summary, most of us don't do that. We tell stories. Now, my wife generally has better stories, both because she's a better storyteller and because she's got two very young, active boys at home. Uh, but, but the point is, is that we, we tell stories to make sense out of our world. They, they make sense out of what's happened. They provide a framework for us. But not just to make sense out of what has happened, but to, in some sense, give direction for what will happen. The problem is that many of us understand our Christianity as either a collection of morals, right? Here are the good things that I'm supposed to do, or a set of propositions. Here are the right things I'm supposed to believe. And therefore, when we approach the Christian life, we have no framework like we do when we're declaring or talking about our education or, or, um, or the road that led us here. Those kind of stories. We, we don't see them that way. But our text today shows that Peter wants those he is writing to to see their lives as part of a continuing story found in this book that we call the Bible. That's what we're going to look at this morning. And there's an outline in your bulletin, as always, if that's helpful. Okay? We're going to look at this in three ways. First, we're going to look at a story from the past, then a story that continues in the present, and then finally, a story for our now. Okay? Ready? All right, let's jump in. Peter begins our section by saying concerning this salvation, right? So let's search out that salvation in verse 10. Let me remind us what he's talking about. Remember, when this letter was originally written and when it was delivered, this was something that was read to a congregation, probably a little smaller than this one, but like this one, um, all in one sitting, right? They just, they just started reading. This is what Peter says to us, and they just started reading. So they, they wouldn't have had this, these gaps over the course of weeks. So let me remind us what, what's going on. Peter just got done talking about how, through faith in Jesus, his readers were obtaining the salvation of their whole lives. That's what he just said in verse 9. Okay? And this is where this picks up. The problem is, is that we are a little confused over what this, this talk of salvation is. Look, the Jewish worldview from which Christianity sprang... Uh, understood that the world, though created good, by, uh, that, that by humanity had been cast into futility. It had been cast into chaos because humanity betrayed God and sought life apart from Him. That's what the Bible calls sin, okay? Seeking life apart from God, seeking independence from Him. And when we did that, we became enslaved to a way of being that was seemingly independent of God, which means that we thought it was, Right? No creature can actually be independent of their creator. Like the, the scripture says that all things hold together by the word of his power. Like if, if we're independent of him, we kind of fall apart. Okay? Um, we were made to be dependent on God, but now we were stuck seeking life apart from him. And for betraying God, we were also under the guilt that comes from that betrayal. And if that, if that rubs you the wrong way, I just want you to think about the fact that like, when you and I are betrayed, when we are betrayed by someone close to us, we know that that brings a weight that someone has to bear. Either we're going to bear it or they are. 
That, that shouldn't be surprising to us that God has a, a similar experience. And so you see, when, when we seek life apart from God, when we seek our value, our meaning, our hope, apart from the one that we were made for, uh, then we bring guilt on ourselves because that is betraying Him. But here's the thing. Right at the beginning, right from the beginning of our betrayal of God, right there in the garden, God promised that He would make things right. How that would happen and the character of it developed throughout the Old Testament, okay? But it's centered around the idea of of being rescued from our slavery to our independence, uh, centered around the idea of forgiveness for our betrayal, and centered around the idea of restoration to God in a world without death. And this is what, in the Old Testament, was understood as salvation, okay? It's, a compre- it's, it's the Bible's comprehensive answer to our comprehensive problem. Not just one aspect of it. It's comprehensive. And that is what Peter's talking about. Now about this, Peter says, the prophets who prophesied concerning the grace which was for you sought and searched. Okay, now stop there. There's so many things going on here. When most of us hear the word prophet, uh, we think fortune teller, right? And so when we think of a prophet searching something out, we get the sense of some like gypsy lady with a bandana on her head, like standing over a crystal ball, like woo, and, and speaking in a weird accent. Um, That is obviously not what is happening here. First off, a a prophet in the Old Testament is simply a spokesperson for God. They're a spokesperson for God. Um, They are are someone who, by by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is speaking for the Lord. But it is also how Jews and early Christians spoke about those who wrote their Bible. In other words, the Old Testament. It's, It's how they understood that. Now, when we think of the prophetic books, the books of the prophets, if you've been in church for a long time, you think of uh, things like um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zechariah, things like that. But in, in first century Judaism, when you talked about the prophets, you were talking about the entirety of the Old Testament. It was just whether they were the former prophets, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, or the latter prophets, which would have actually been who we would consider the prophets, okay? They were all the prophets. All the books were understood as prophetic because all were speaking for God. Now, secondly, that, that word searched, the, the, the second of those words in the, in the ESV, it, it's, it says inquired carefully, okay? Perhaps your translation says searched diligently. That word is used in John's gospel to talk about when Jesus talks about people who are searching out the scriptures. It's a, it's a unique word. It's a specific word. Um, and so what we're talking about here is not a crystal ball. What we're talking about here are prophets at one point in time taking the information that they're receiving from God and then going back to the scriptures that they already had and searching through them, studying them, trying to figure out what is coming, what is going on, how God is going to answer his promise. Lastly, on the, I want to I point out what they were searching out concerned, Peter says, the grace for you. Okay, now follow me here. Because Peter is basically saying that what, the, what Christians are experiencing now, what they are experiencing right now, is not a new development. It's not a surprising blip on the pages of history. Uh, um, wow, we didn't realize that was going to happen. Like, this, is, this, is, uh, this is what they were looking for way back then. Okay, here's what this means. The Old Testament story of God creating it all 
us having it all, us then losing it all, and God promising to restore it all, that is somehow being fulfilled in the grace that we are experiencing. Okay? Now, we'll get more on that in a second. Now, grace is a loaded term as well. Um, we need to understand what that means. I mean, it means undeserved favor, right? It means, it means getting good things that we don't deserve. The grace, the getting good things that we don't deserve from God that we're experiencing right now is rooted in what the prophets were looking for. How is that possible? That is what Peter brings out in verse 11. So look there now. He centers it on Christ. He says this, "...searching to see what time or what kind of time the Spirit of Christ in them was making clear when they witnessed beforehand of the sufferings for Christ and afterwards the glory of these things." Okay, again, a lot here. Let me paint the picture for you. Peter is saying rather clearly that the prophets of old were given some understanding to communicate to God's people of, of how God would execute His rescue plan, how He would go about um, doing what He promised to do, but they didn't get it all. They were writing a story of God's work in the world and His intentions for it, but that story was without a conclusion. And that's what they were earnestly seeking out. What's going to be the conclusion? What's the final chapter? What's the climax of this story? But at the same time, they were given hints, and they were communicating about the sufferings for Christ. Now, some of us, for some of us, that is a completely foreign idea, but my guess is for all of us, the nature of what Peter is saying is foreign. Here's why. The word Christ, I've said this before, a lot of us think the word Christ is like Jesus' last name, and it's not. The word Christ is a title. It's a title that means anointed. And anointed um, in, in, the, in the Old Testament kind of uh, thought universe meant, meant king. He's your king. This is the Messiah, the king of the world. Um, for a Jew, it, it meant not just any king, right? Because you could, you could say, okay, well, he's our regional king. It meant the king, the one through whom God had promised he was going to make the world right. Now, of course, the problem is that sacking about the sufferings for the king would have been... That, uh, that would not have made sense. How can God make the, the, the one who has the most amount of his favor, his, his prize, his king, suffer? Well, here's the thing. The problem with this entire thing, the, the problem with this entire narrative is that the story had already made clear that, that God was going to get rid of evil. He was going to get rid of sin in the world, but also that every person in the world was part of the problem. So how is it that God can deal with evil, deal with sin, and yet not have every person caught up in that? All of us getting rid of it at the same time. And it all comes down to that phrase, the sufferings for Christ. Because you see, this is why Jesus came. The entire Old Testament finds its conclusion in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You can see this in a parallel that is way more clear in the original than in the translations. In verse 10, Peter talks about the grace that was to be yours in the ESV. Literally, it says the grace for you. And then later, he talks about, in verse 11, the sufferings for Christ. They are the exact same words, in, the exact same phraseology in parallel to one another. Here's why this matters. That is how God concluded the story. That is how God was able to deal with sin while still showing us mercy. Because Christ suffered, we received grace. Because, because 
He bore sin. We didn't have to. God was able to deal with sin while still showing us mercy because Jesus took on Himself the guilt of our betrayal so that you and I might experience something we didn't deserve. The favor of God. The argument of Peter is that the entire scope of the Old Testament, the entire story finds its fulfillment in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The Old Testament leans in, as it were, all the way to the cross. Okay? You with me? That's not all, though, because the story didn't end at the cross, but continues into the present. Look down at the beginning of verse 12 for the story's whole point. Peter says this, It was revealed to them that they served not themselves, but you. Okay? This is important, so hear me if you can. The vast majority of our culture, and even the vast majority of American Christianity, okay, right now, um, believes that the Old Testament and the New Testament are vastly different books. Right? They're va- they, we, we see them as vastly different books. We assume that the God of the Old Testament is mean and grumpy and likes to smite things, right? Whereas the God of the New Testament is, is, um, is a God, uh, the, God of, the God of Jesus is loving, mushy, and kind of rather like Santa Claus, okay? Um, we think the Old Testament is about rules and the New Testament about love, whatever exactly that means. We think the Old Testament deals with a lot of like blood and all that stuff, but whereas the New Testament is kind of anti-violence, okay? Peter would disagree with that. What I just described, though widespread today, is basically something that the early church rejected called Marcionism, okay? Named after a, a dude, don't worry about that. But the point is this, the, I, the idea behind it is that you're dealing with two different gods or two different stories, right? Two different ways of dealing with humanity. Peter says, not, not exactly. As a matter of fact, he says, not at all. What he's saying is that the whole point of this stuff in the past, the whole point of the Old Testament, the whole point of what they're talking about is what is going on right now in the lives of Christians. Listen, you, you, you don't believe me. L- let me show you what Peter's doing. Look back at verse 11. He describes the means by which the Old Testament prophets did their work. That they did what they did by the Spirit of Christ. Okay? Now, Step back for a second. When we say Spirit of Christ, that's, that's a way that Christians talk about um, one of the members of the Trinity. Okay? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Christian conception of God is three persons in one essence. So the Holy Spirit, another way of talking about Him is the Spirit of Christ. That is also the way that early Christians talked about their experience of God the Holy Spirit. He was the Spirit of Christ. Peter's being very specific with the way in which he talks about Him. He doesn't call him the Holy Spirit. He calls him the Spirit of Christ. Why? Because Peter's readers would have heard that the Spirit they currently experience is the same one that the prophets did. The prophets were looking ahead and being pointed towards the sufferings of Christ, whereas the the early Christians and us are looking back and placing our faith in Christ and His sufferings. And then Peter makes it clear. They are serving us with their message. In other words... The full meaning of the prophet's message, the full meaning of the Old Testament message is actually found, is actually understandable because of our place this side of the cross. Now, some of you are thinking, okay, but what about all the wrath versus love stuff? All right, because come on. God told people to be smiting other people. And what about, what about the whole like uh, smiting versus Santa thing? You know, here's what I'd say. Okay, if some of you are wrestling with that this morning, let me say this. Most of that is born out of a caricature, right? Because, because of this. Some of the most disturbingly 
stunningly dark warnings of judgment come directly from the lips of Jesus in the entirety of Scripture. And some of the most amazingly, beautifully hopeful messages of forgiveness and love come from the Old Testament, especially the prophets and Psalms. Okay? Don't believe the caricature. Read the book. The point of the story of the Bible, the entire Bible, is the work of Jesus now made manifest in the church. Okay, but lastly, he talks about the continuing message. Look at the rest of verse 12. He says, It was revealed to them that they serve not themselves but you with these things which are now being announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Okay, now Peter is sealing the deal. Because the message that the prophets sought out, the message that the prophets searched for and spoke is the same one which now those who preach the gospel deliver by the Holy Spirit. And the same thing that angels now long to look into. We don't have time to go into that. I wish I did. Uh, but here's why this matters. If, you're here la- if you were here last week, you'll remember that Peter began talking about how it was necessary, okay, stay with me, that it was necessary for his hearers to suffer for a little while. You remember that? He said, while right now it's necessary that you suffer for a little while. They are, they are a people in suffering. And how are they to make sense of what is going on in their lives? Peter's going to talk a lot in this letter about suffering. But how are we to understand what is going on? Peter says this, you have got to place your story within the larger story of what God is doing in the world. In other words, what Christians believe is not invalidated by circumstance because what we believe is not about us. It is about God. It is about what He is doing in the world and it is about our place in that larger story. Peter is saying that our lives are shaped by a story. Our identities are shaped by a story. His reader's current story is filled with suffering and so Peter is helping them understand that what they are experiencing is not the whole story. It's not the entirety. What they believed is part of an epic that spans the entirety of the history of the world. And that even in the midst of their difficulties, they are to be part of something That is to frame how they understand themselves, how they understand their lives, and how they follow Jesus in the world. The point is this. If you don't know the story, how will you place your life in it? If you don't understand what God has been doing, how will you be able to judge both what He is doing and what you are to do in the future? All right, let me bring this home in two ways um, this morning. One more theological and one practical. First, the theological one. Listen, guys, we need to understand that when we read the Bible, we are not reading two different messages or two different stories. We are reading one grand narrative. Now, listen, some, and, and they're rather historically recent, okay, some rather historically recent segments of Christianity want to argue that the Old Testament, though interesting, very interesting, and perhaps even helpful in us grasping who God is, um, and, and quite frankly, that um, if you take that Old Testament and then the New Testament up until the triumphal entry of Jesus, that you can basically take that and separate that off and go, that's really nice and good and well, but that's not really for us. What's really for us is from Jesus' cross-resurrection and onward that there's a secondary plan for us, for, for, for those who are not of Jewish origin, right? 
that is patently false. That is just not true. The non-Christian way of saying this is to say ultimately the same thing, but to do so by pointing out the minutia of the laws in the Old Testament, right? We hear this a lot, especially right now. Well, you don't like this moral position, but I don't see anybody stoning their kids for, for cursing at them, and I don't see anybody having a problem with wearing clothes of two different kinds of fabric, right? You have heard this recently? Okay, some of you are nodding to me. Thank you. Um, it, it's going on a lot today. Um, both perspectives fail to grasp what is ultimately going on here. The entire point of the Old Testament is preparatory. That is to say, it provides the narrative framework for how to understand God acting to answer for our sin. It helps us understand who He is, who we are, what our problem is, how we were designed to flourish, and how you and I pursue exactly the opposite of how we were designed to flourish all the time. And then, when Jesus comes on the scene, it is like the one final piece of the puzzle that both completes the puzzle and makes sense out of the whole picture. You're like, oh, that's what that is. I didn't see it before. Now I get it. The entire Old Testament is about Jesus. Now, that does not mean that we look at each story or each law or find some uber-creative way to, sit, to show that it says that, I know it says mildew, but it really means Jesus, right? That's not what I'm talking about, okay? What I mean is that the story as a whole finds its fulfillment in the work of Jesus that we see in the Gospels. And look, this is, this is not something new. This is what Paul's whole point is in Romans 9-11. to in the book of Romans, chapters 9 through 11, the entire question he's trying to answer is, did God change his mind? Is he somehow not on board with the promises he made? Paul says, no, absolutely not. What you're seeing, what we're seeing right now, is the surprising way that God acted the way he always intended to. What, you see, what, what we experience in the Christian church is how God always intended things to happen. It is one story. One story, okay? Now, the more practical side. Let's talk about finding your place in the story. Some of us here in this room have very little exposure to Christianity apart from some cultural noise, uh, maybe watching the Flanders on The Simpsons, right? Like, it's, we, we think we need to be jumping on our trampoline to see if we can get to Jesus. Um, uh, look, we, some of us here, we equate Christianity with, like... Um, with, a, with an American cultural narrative, right? Christianity is like God, guns, and patriotism, okay? Uh, others of us, though, like we've gone to church for a while, but it's always been about, it's always been either about like rules, like do good and God will like you, um, or about being sincere, right? Just be authentic. God likes you for being authentic and honest. For both groups, what I'd want to encourage you to is something else. Remember the parallel that we talked about there. If we are to receive grace, and not a person in this room, I, I cannot imagine a person in this room would be willing to raise their hand and say, I have never messed up in my life. Before God, I am blameless. None of us, none of us are crazy enough to think that. If you and I are going to receive grace in light of those mess-ups, If we're going to receive good from God that we don't deserve, it does not come through being good or sincere. Here's why. Remember the story. Our problem was not born out of our, or it was, it was not born out of simply rule breaking. It was born out of a desire for independence from God. That is why we betrayed Him. 
And so when we just try to keep the rules to make God like us, if we, if we just try and keep the morality up, it, it is like saying we can independently make up for our independence problem. We can independently make ourselves right with God so that we can independently cancel our independence from God. And when we think God will like us for being sincere, what we're saying is that as long as we admit that we're independent from God, He'll be okay with us no matter how much we betray Him. Now, the only way to be caught up in the story of what God is doing is to... to, The only way to get caught up in the story of God setting the worlds to rights is to place our faith in Jesus. It is only through the sufferings for Him that the grace for us comes. If you have not had a life-changing, intimate encounter with the living God through Jesus Christ, and listen, that could be a million different people here. I mean, if there were a million people here. But uh, you, you get the point. Like It could be any number of us. It could be those of us who were walked in these doors for the first time. It could be those of us who have been here since the beginning of this church. If you have not had a life-changing, intimate encounter with the living God through faith in Jesus Christ, I would call you today to repent of your independence and find your identity in that story. Others of us, though, have done that, but we still struggle to make sense either of our world, of ourselves, uh, of our faith, uh, of our life in all of it altogether. And the reason is because we try and do so without searching out the story. Okay? Track with me here. This is what I mean. Your life will be shaped by a story. We are storytellers. We use story to create meaning. It will be shaped by a story. It will either be the one that God tells in His Word or one that the world tells or our own sinful desires tell. You and I need to be people of this story. This Word. Okay? We should know it We should study it. We should drive it deep into our hearts and share what we're learning from it with others around us, both Christian and non-Christian. Because frankly, I need to hear from you what you're learning to help encourage me. I don't know about you. We need to be letting this word shape us regularly, not just once a week. Look, if you get more modern family, Big Bang Theory, and Walking Dead than you get Bible, guess what story is shaping your life? I know that sounds really funny, but I am not kidding those narratives begin to shape our understanding of the world. But friends, we do this not to get something from God. It's not like, well, okay, so what you're really saying, Rick, is that God will like me if I spend enough time in the Bible. All right, I can do that. I can do, how much time is it? Like, that's not what I'm saying at all. We don't get something from God by doing this, but we do this because He has given grace to us. And so we seek to be shaped by that story of grace, not just on Sunday, but to be a people shaped by it every day of the week. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we come and we hear again of our place in a story that has spanned from the creation of the universe to now and will span until for eternity. Lord, we bow before Your majesty because You are great. We, like the psalmist, are struck by our own smallness. Who are we that You are mindful of us? And we come and worship You for Your wisdom because You are great.
in your plan and in your execution of it. We give you thanks. Would you, would you be with us? Drive us deeper in our repentance and faith. To repent of seeking to understand things through a story that is not yours. And give us faith to turn again to Jesus, whether for the first time or for the first time in the last five minutes. Help us to do this, Lord, and we will give you the praise and the thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.